Hello there, guys. Welcome to the Stephen Runs Vegan Podcast. Welcome back. This is my first full podcast, full feature-length podcast, since the break. So I appreciate you sticking around and tuning in. Really do love that you're here. Today on the show, I have an interview with my good friend Matt Fraser, but it's not the type of interview you might expect from someone like Matt Fraser. Regular podcast listeners will know I've talked about him a few times. He's now a good friend of mine, which I'm very grateful for. But he is the founder and is still heavily involved with No Meat Athlete, which was his website, blog, became a podcast, he's written books, he's toured all over the world in veg fests, and that's how I came in contact with him. And it turns out he's just a lovely guy. I went to visit him in his home with his family in North Carolina back in 2019 now, which doesn't feel all that long ago, but there we are. Had a really nice time. But I do remember one evening I was in a bar with Matt and a friend of his, who Doug, who is also part of No Meat Athlete. And we just had a really nice time. We had a few drinks and we were chatting about sports and backgrounds and traditions and the college, you know, college sports that they were into and the differences in cultures and between European and American sports. And I found that just a really fun chat that night. And that it's a little bit funny that Matt is in certainly in the vegan running world is. A known name, No Meat Athlete is a big deal. And I'm very lucky to know somebody in that world, especially when I when I have my own uh, vegan running podcast. But I did think it would be funny not to have Matt on to talk about his depth of knowledge and expertise on plant-based lifestyle fitness issues. But no, just to have him on to talk about US sports versus European sports versus the differences in cultures between the sports fans. Basically have kind of like a bar chat that I did that night. And... Doug was going to join us, but unfortunately scheduling didn't really work that way. So Matt, thank you very much. It was great to have you on. I will get Matt Fraser back on the show to talk about his legitimate professional interests. That's that he's probably more used to answering in interviews. But until then, folks, you can find Matt on all the Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, social media, everywhere you look. NoMeetAthlete.com. He's got a great podcast. I've even been lucky enough to be a guest on that podcast. I'm going to link all of that below and where you can find all the information to get in touch with me. But with no further ado, thank you very much for listening. Here is my chat with my good friend, Matt Fraser. Hey guys, it's Stephen Runs Vegan Podcast here. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'm here with my friend Matt. A lot of you, certainly in the vegan and running world, might know Matt Fraser. He is the founder of No Meat Athlete, a successful running, fitness, lifestyle, blog, podcast, and so forth. One of the main reasons I'm vegan. He's an ultra runner, author, blogger, done veg fest talks all over the world. But all of that famous expertise in his field, and I'm here to talk to him about sports and about uh, culture, and we're going to have a beer and have a nice little catch-up, uh, ignoring all of that decades of work that Matt has put into his field. So, Matt Fraser, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Stephen. I am uh, I am actually much more excited to talk to talk sports than uh, to do what I usually do on podcasts, for sure. <laughs> we did. So, I was lucky enough to be on uh, the No Meat Athlete podcast a couple of years ago when I ran my first ultra. And the first five or 10 minutes of that podcast were you and I talking some football stuff. Eventually, we got around to, okay, let's let's talk about the running and the, the, the real stuff. So we can stretch that out now. We can finish our conversation. Yeah, my favorite part of every episode that we do is the intro anyway, before uh, before we turn our attention to the, the matter at hand. It's always just goofing off, talking about what we did this weekend, uh, complaining about things and such. So 
that's probably my favorite thing. Matt has a co-host, Doug, and they just they they have a bit of banter before the interview or before the topic gets in, and that's I don't know. That's more you don't get that. Uh, that's unique to your podcast. That you you guys have that chemistry. Oh, is that is that unique? I, I actually didn't know uh, that. Well, well it, it's it's what I seek. Maybe more more so uh-huh. these days. It it vibed with me for want of a better phrase very early on. But uh, yeah, it, it's in the course of listening to your podcast over the years, I've seen you. And yeah, you interviewed Baggio Husidic and it was a really great chat, but you mentioned that you were kind of a, like you'd follow the World Cup when the US were involved and you, you'd be in and out of it. And that was five, six years ago, maybe. And now you, your son is, you know, in, in football academies and you, you follow European football, you follow local American football as well. So you've really come a long way in that, in that space of time. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like I, uh, I said that on the podcast, but that was definitely not the first time that I had said. Uh, I wish I were a soccer fan because it was exactly that. Every time the World Cup would come around, you know, growing up in this country in the United States, like n- no one, no one knew about club soccer in Europe. A-, a few people might wear those jerseys to school or something, or and not even that. I mean, you might hear about it or catch it on some weird TV channel. Um, but yeah, it was World Cup. Like that's that was it. And and I, you know, international soccer was like I thought the highest level of soccer. And so like, it'd be so much fun to watch that, even though we knew the U S wouldn't win, it was just fun to kind of make them watch them make a run. Um, and then, yeah. And so, and then it would pass. And then I, I would say, Oh, I'm, I'm actually, I didn't become a soccer fan. Like I, like I thought I might, you know, having gotten into it. Uh, and that would happen every four years, but then finally, probably, probably because of my son, um, I started to, to actually, you know, learn about the teams thanks to FIFA, the, the video game a lot that, that certainly helped. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just like, now I actually consider myself a soccer fan. Not, not at all a serious one by any means, but you know, I do, I, I know the players, I know the teams, things like that. I'd say you, you're well able, able to talk about soccer now <laughs> to talk about football. You're damn it. You're getting me over to your, uh, your soccer side. Actually, I've written that down as a random thing to throw into the chat at some say, do you know the origin of the soccer phrase? Have I told you that? Or have you discovered it on your way? I, if you have told me, then I don't remember it. Oh, good. But either you're being very polite or curious. Either way, I'm fine with that. But um, there, there's a slang, you know, the, the sport rugby. It's not really huge in the US, but the physical ball sport. Right. Um, that was called association rugby. And a, a slang term for rugby in Ireland and Europe these days, to this day, is called rugger. It's just an informal way of saying rugby, rugger. And it was association football as well. And the suck from association uh-huh. became soccer, which was ah. uh, rugger and soccer have the same origins. That, wow. it, it seems so straightforward. Yet it, I learned that about <laughs> three years ago, I think. And I'm I am I've been a massive football fan my whole life. So that's an interesting one. That's funny. Yeah, I don't it, like even among Americans, people do call it football, like who try to be serious fans. Uh, but it just it feels very strange because it just automatically introduces confusion into the conversation because football yeah. is, is American football here. It's misleading. It's a bit difficult. Yeah, I can imagine. So to we're probably going to mostly talk football on this because that's just, I think, our mutual passion. But I want to cover like the differences between European sports and American sports. And obviously that relates to culture, to politics, to traditions and a whole host of wonderful things. But it will be primarily soccer. You can see behind me here, I've got my Liverpool flag up. I didn't. Yep. I thought it would be a bit of overkill to actually wear my Liverpool shirt as well. <laughs> I'm a big Liverpool fan. You and your son are big Real Madrid fans. We'll, we'll get that all out in the open first before we get into into the weeds of it all. We should. And I have I have a valid excuse for being a Real Madrid fan. I, it's not just front running or anything like that. I uh, 
I was lucky enough to go to Spain to travel there for an exchange program throughout high school for four different years. I got to go live with a family uh, and have the family come here. And they were all from Toledo, which is a city about maybe 40 minutes from Madrid. Uh, and and in, at least back then, and I think still now, it was kind of like you were either a Madrid fan or you were a Barcelona fan. Uh, and there was a lot of passion. And, and there was no context for me to, to, know, to know that, you know, those were two of the richest, best clubs in the world. It was just that they were the two big ones in Spain. Uh, and so because we were in Toledo, most people like Madrid. I got Madrid jerseys and things like that. And uh, and that's just, you know, that, that's they became my team. That's fair. And I, I, I don't like the fact that some clubs have to kind of apologize or explain their fandom. One of my good friends over here is a big Chelsea fan. And Chelsea have kind of the same tag as Madrid of you know, a lot of money, a lot of power, a lot of politics behind the scenes rather than just the football. But he's a lovely guy and he he supported that team since he was like six. So for him to have to almost apologize by telling anybody he's a Chelsea fan. And I, I, you don't like it when we're recording a podcast, but you don't mind it when we're hanging out. And, and uh, <laughs> no, that's that's true. Because I, I, I do throw in some jokes because you know, Liverpool and Real Madrid <laughs> are not in the same leagues. Well, currently. But we did have a rather infamous meeting of the Champions League a few years ago, and there's always been a bit of Liverpool fans. Uh, we, I'll admit it, we like to think of ourselves as superior, the people's club and, and socialism mm-hmm. and all these nice things, in, which in reality is just branding nowadays. But it's <laughs> it's all part of the game, right? We, we, we would tease the likes of the, the rich clubs, whether that be the Eng- English rivals like Manchester United, Man City, Chelsea, or in European cases, Real Madrid. But like you said, had you moved to Seville, you would have been a Real Betis fan or a Sevilla fan. So <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. it's authentic. I'll, I'll give you that. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, even even in the United States where we don't know much about soccer and even in college when no one did, especially uh, because that was, well, that was almost 20 years ago now, when I told my friends that I quote unquote liked Real Madrid, even though I didn't really because I didn't follow them or anything, I just liked them when I was in Spain. Mm-hmm. Um you know, friends would tell me they were the they were the New York Yankees of soccer, basically, which which is not a good thing. That's that's the you know the team that buys all the champions or tries to you know buy the players to put together a championship team. I'll reveal my ignorance now, but is that the same sport as the Patriots? Because to me, the, the Patriots are that American team. <laughs> the one that are the Yankees the same? Are the Yankees the same as the Patriots? Is that what you said? Is that what you're asking? Uh, do they play the same sport? I'm, no, I'm the Yankees. Sure Yankees are a baseball team. Okay, Pat, I so, knew yeah. the Pat, I knew the Pats were a football team. I didn't know the Yankees. Okay, yes, and and the Patriots are, are hated for the same reasons. Hated by by my type of people anyway, mm. uh, for the same reasons. But I'm I'm I just figured that it was that that was common knowledge that the uh, Yankees were a baseball team. Just assume to most people, and I I've as much of a sports fan as I consider myself. I've kind of had this blind spot of U.S. sports for how how huge it is, and it's certainly grown in popularity over here in the last ten years. You will, ironically, the way you'll see a Madrid or a Barcelona shirt in an American city, you will find a Yankees hat or a Pat- Patriots jacket over here. The, the biggest ones come first and then the rest. Right. It, it takes, um, for example, I, what I'm wearing now, the New Orleans Saints hoodie. Mm-hmm. They're my football team, despite not knowing a thing about them or <laughs> very, very little. But like you, I went to New Orleans and, you know, it rubs off on you. Right. Yeah. Um, but I found this in Harlem, like in the town I live in, in the Netherlands, which oh, okay. was not expected. I'm filtering through generic <laughs> sports stuff and suddenly New Orleans pops up. So that was nice. So showing ignorance growing up, I want to get into like the origins of it all. Were you always a big team sports? Were you always a sports fan? Were you watching it on TV? Not even just team sports, the Olympics, the whatever. Yeah, uh, I was. And I, I mean, I figured that was what pretty much every kid did in that era, which might not be true, but at least through my lens, that was what everyone did. Uh, I liked baseball. 
which uh, the Baltimore Orioles was my team because I grew up outside of Baltimore. And like, that was just who you rooted for. We did not have a football team because we had, we had the Baltimore Colts until really an iconic franchise until I was about, I think four years old. And then they moved in the middle of the night, they moved to Indianapolis. It was a big thing with the owner and everyone hated him from then on. But, you know, I grew up not having a football team. So until the Ravens came along, I didn't, didn't root for anybody. Uh, The only other sport that I really was in, like that I, actually followed or shouldn't even say that that i got really excited to watch entire games of was indoor soccer there was an indoor soccer league called the misl uh and the team was the baltimore blast and i used to go to those games and watch them on tv and it was so much fun and in fact when i was little i used to like that was what i wanted to be when i grew up was an indoor soccer player not not outdoor but just did they play indoor did they already call it futsal at the time or was it branded as indoor soccer no because it it isn't futsal and i only learned about futsal in the past two years or so since got introduced to it through my son. Uh, this is like soccer played basically in a hockey rink with no, with, with turf instead of ice. So there are walls oh, that you can yeah. bounce it off of the ball runs around the, you know, the, the circular corners. Uh, and, and like the league was, it, I mean, it's, I don't know if it's really a professional league. It might've been semi-pro almost. Uh, and like it went through these iterations where they were for a while, they were three point goals and two point goals like basketball. I and mean, it got just mm-hmm. crazy stuff. Uh, but definitely it, it was not to my knowledge or to my mind, it was not the skill game that that futsal is, okay, uh, I, but that's I, not true. I, I mean, there, there are players who to do it. I think like there's a, there's a YouTuber. My son follows uh, Michael Wilkerson is his name. No, <laughs> that's the name, uh, a player that we know, uh, <laughs> Michael Lewis Cunningham. Um, and he does YouTube videos. My son follows his stuff, buys his little products and things like that. Uh, but he was, he was playing in this league and I saw that they were playing against the Baltimore blast when I looked at his schedule. So, I mean, there are, there are, you know, I guess fairly serious footballers who, uh, who, who play in this league still. Right. Well, I remember one of uh, Liverpool's star players a couple of years ago, who's kind of gone off the boil, Felipe Coutinho. We all got very excited when we were signing him because there were, uh, there was footage of him as a 12 year old in Brazil somewhere. Um, dominating futsal games and uh-huh. he he was tiny as a player even to this day he's quite a slight technical not a not a strong athlete by any means but he would have already these kids who are his age and his size just chasing him around the field because he had it there's just a completely different um skill set i guess it's less about sheer endurance and power and stamina more about technicality and quick feet so i, I yeah. can see why it would be a fun sport to watch yeah, and I don't know uh, actually with with futsal if if over in Europe it is has the reputation it does here. But like like I said, no one has heard it. If I tell it to someone here, they don't know what it is. Nobody's heard of it. But and but I only heard of it a couple of years ago through soccer people. But it was it, it has this reputation of being the sport that develops really good soccer players. And I don't know if that's the same over there. But uh, there was there's a book called The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle, I think. Uh, and he apparently was like when he studied all these different talent hotspots around the world. One of the one of his things he said was like if you look at this game they play in brazil that's that's where you know all these great footballers get developed and they do so because it's in tight spaces and there are no walls like in american indoor soccer to help you get out of those tight spaces uh you get you know 200 more touches or something than in an outdoor game and all these reasons why mm. that's like the big reason why there are so many brazilians who are good players so i don't know so i think it's kind of on the rise here but it's not at all mainstream yeah, I, I believe that in in Europe, uh, someone could be listening and completely correct me. It's not. It's about the same. I think it has a sort of a cult following. Dare I say, a hipster following. It's not on mainstream sports TV, and 
if you if you can if you want to find it it's there but it's about the same i would say but yeah we definitely have that be and people over here will will combine the likes of indoor football futsal with and the skills that the latin american players would have with also just street football like be playing mm-hmm. in cages and playing on the street and going back to a kind of a romantic time when they were barefoot and there was only one ball in the village and that kind of thing yeah right but we always saw that with luis suarez who was a liverpool star for a couple of years and he would just weave in and out of these tiny spots that nobody else could get through. But mm-hmm. anyway, we get too technical about uh, minute football details. So you're, you're a big uh, baseball fan. You were a big foot NFL in general, football, American football fan over the years. Not really because we didn't have a team. I kind of became oh, yes, one sir. after high school when we got a team, but you know, it never was that interesting to me. I, it was always enough, too many rules to like really become a fan in a casual way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, you could know how the games played, but like, I don't know as a nine-year-old without a, without a professional team that I really cared about. I just never got into it enough to like know all the ins and outs of the rules. So just was never my, my thing. Yeah. So as a, you, you grow older, you, you start visiting Europe. Um, I don't know when you went to your very first soccer game, but it was only that recently. I'm so, it's soccer now. We, we're chopping between <laughs> yeah, American and <laughs> I've already flip-flopped. Uh, but you, you, you went to Spain, you said, and you got into Real Madrid you've started going to live games and I know from talking to you over the years, you've been to a couple of big games and some famous venues. Were there any initial shocks or initial um, moments or thoughts that you had? Like, wow, I, I, I knew about the game and I knew about the world cup, but this is not what I expected. Yeah, there are a few. Um, I, the first game that I ever attended was, was a Toledo game. Actually, it was their local team. I, it was probably the third or fourth division. Um, which is funny because like nowadays I understand what that was back then I didn't, they just said, this is a smaller team. So, and to me from coming from this American sport culture, a lower level team, it, it meant either they were a minor league team for the professional team. So that a lot of these guys would go on to become pros. It, once they developed just a little bit more, they'd get called up to the big team, which, and I kind of knew it wasn't that, or it's like a semi pro hobby kind of team that people do mostly only after they're, you know, 40 or maybe some college athletes who didn't make it. And they kind of just do this for fun. Um, I, you know, it was just weird. So I really enjoyed that. And I think that really did kind of begin some of the intrigue for me, this idea that like it, there could be a, a league that was like a pretty serious league, but just at a level three tiers below the the pros and not be, not be the minor league or the development team for some bigger team. Right. Um, so that was kind of cool. I, whenever I've gone, like, there's just this passion that comes from the fans and this, this caring. And like, you just, you just, I mean, you see the footage of it in Argentina or whatever, where, they, where they're getting fights and it's just, there's this reputation of soccer hooligans from wherever, anywhere in Europe, pretty much. And, and that just had seemed so cool that that fan bases would care that much about their team. And they do here, of course, too, but uh, I don't know. It's just, it's a much raw, more raw form of passion when you, when you see that. Um, so I don't, th- I never saw that. I haven't see, witnessed that sort of stuff when I've gone to some big games here. Uh, sorry, not here recently uh, in Europe, but um, partly I realize that's because they don't sell alcohol in, in mm. most soccer stadiums uh, in yeah, Europe. For good, for good reason. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that was really surprising to me. Like I, I just, it, it was, it's unthinkable that there would be a professional sporting event and you can't go buy a beer during it, a real beer. Um and so much of that, like I, w- I would see the ads for the 0% beer, 0.0, and those things were all over the place. And that's surprising because that's, that's only just coming to the U.S. kind of this year or the past year. Um, but when I started 
going to Spain more frequently and going to games, I don't know, three, four, five years ago, uh, it was already going on in Spain. And I think perhaps led by that, the fact that it, you can't sell alcohol, that people want the kind of the next most reminding familiar thing, which is 0% beer. Um, so like I, I ordered one and I was still even in line. I, I was and I didn't speak Spanish all that well. I've gotten better, but like uh, I still didn't, wasn't quite sure that I wasn't getting a real beer. And <laughs> so I just, you know, did it. And, and then eventually they said, we don't have beer. We have this. And I said, well, okay, that's fine. Uh, so anyway, but that, that was a shocking thing for sure. Interesting. So I, I've had the opposite of a couple of those experiences in my U.S. Uh, sports, very limited, uh, as you can tell, sports life so far. So the only game, the only event I've gone to see was when I went to New Orleans uh, early 2019. We wanted to go see a Saints game because that was the big thing. Everyone in New Orleans is a big football fan. Who that? All the, the who that nation? <laughs> I, I vaguely know the, the lingo. <laughs> Yep. But they had just been knocked out the week before by some really controversial non-call. That there were protests all over the city when we were there. We knew all about the referee not making a famous call or whatever. Uh-huh. But so the 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 alternative, the only event that was happening in, during our time there was a Pelicans game, a basketball game. So we became honorary New Orleans Pelicans fans, <laughs> which was fun because they kind of sucked and still do a little bit. They've got they've got a star player or two now. They're getting better, but the the stadium was half or they the arena, whatever you call the venue was half full. The, their star player, Anthony Davis had just agreed to go to the Lakers. So the whole crowd was like vehemently against this guy who was Mm. by far the best player on the field or on the, on the court. Um, It was the Pelicans were playing, playing against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And you could, from even from my very basic basketball knowledge, you could tell the, neither of them were the, upper echelons of it wasn't the lakers it wasn't the golden state warriors or any of right that. right but anthony davis was clear in a way the best player on the field and we were cheering because he was just scoring all the points and he was the most fun <laughs> player but i guess it's a bit like um i don't know when, when when raheem sterling agreed to go to manchester city from liverpool he's had a hard time every time he came back it's one of those it's more emotional but the 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 contrast that i had was I was giddy about buying a beer at the venue. I, I could go out at halftime. I saw, I, for the first time in my life, I, I read the two words side by side, bottomless popcorn. I'd never seen that phrase before. <laughs> so there's all these big American things. There was a full ring of like, um, what do you call them? Kiosks and food stalls and the like all around the arena. And I was just curious and I was walking around. didn't know what I'd want. So I was having a look, but I was just soaking it all in corn dogs and i don't know all these cliches that i'd know about through movies and mm-hmm. I, i'm seeing it's really there and i could turn up with a giant but a thing of popcorn turns out bottomless popcorn is too much you, you only need a certain amount the, the novelty wears off very quickly but i i came back with a beer for me and my friend and this is great we're having a good time it's also interesting that you mentioned about the non-existence of this tier of sports which we have in europe which is professional but not upper echelons because in my knowledge of what goes on over there i don't know if it's completely correct but you've got like your college teams you've got the you know the the graduates the the next big things coming through and they get drafted or they get recruited by the the big the big clubs and that's it there's a big gap in the middle where when i think of the premier league for or sorry english football for example i'm a liverpool fan we're in the premier league we're one of those top clubs but there are four professional divisions underneath that and about i don't know 30 more maybe semi-professional ones all with a dedicated following all with a decent budget and decent facilities and yeah like like toledo for example you 
one of those one of those teams. So it's it's an interesting contrast. That's kind kind of what I wanted what I wanted to get into with this whole chat is our ignorance of the other side, and you've had more experience of you know cultural uh, immersion in European sports than I have else on on the other side. But just to see the differences between them, and and um, it's a bit like travel in general when. I, I can travel anywhere in the world now and I can probably go to McDonald's or Starbucks or certainly in modern Western societies. And you you can live the same way in a lot of these places now for better or worse, but it's the little things that nobody tells you about. It's oh, the Dutch have this particular quirk or the Germans like to do this and you don't know until you're there and you, because nobody points it out to you and you, there are all these little differences and sport is you know, one of the best ways to highlight that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I told you that like, one of the great things about, about watching soccer for me is that it, it feels like I'm being a tourist because it is so different still from the way that American sports are. And it doesn't feel like that. And there is this threat of relegation and the, what to me is sort of the charm of like watching a team that uh, two years ago was in the third division uh, and seeing these players who, you know, just individually would have little shot at, at making the top division, but because their team, you know, gelled and it worked they suddenly are playing against Real Madrid's uh, you know, that that's really neat. And this, I, for me, it's like, it would just be this idea of hope that, um, you know, would create real fandom around like a team like that, because like, like I said, like to me and, and I'm baseball is different from football. Like football doesn't really have a, a minor league farm system that I know of and American football. I mean, sorry. Um, but baseball does. Then there's like three, there are four tiers of there's triple a, there's double a single a, and then the rookie league. And all these things, when you come out of high school or college, you get drafted, but you don't go right to the big leagues. You go to one of these and you work your way up. Um, right. But so like those, those teams are, they exist in small towns where I live, Asheville, we have a minor league baseball team and it is charming and fun to go to the games and they have goofy promotions in between the innings and, you know, all this funny stuff going on. Uh, and it's really cheap and it's just a good time for the family, but the players are in and out and like you get attached to a player. If he's, if he has too good of a season, then he's gone the next year or, or in the middle of the season because he'll go on to the next level. It's inevitable. Uh, so like you can, yeah. So you can, you can like the team, but it's, it's just not, it's, it's just different because that team, if they're, if they're good, if their players are good, they're going to, it's going to be a different team the next year. So sorry so, to interrupt, but what do you think? Is it locality? Because you're, you live in Asheville and you see, you've, the tourists, right? Isn't that the name of that? Yeah, the Asheville tourists. So you yep. go and see the Asheville tourists because you're, you know, you have an affinity for your, your hometown. Is is that what keeps you there? Like what attaches you to the brand for want of a better word? <laughs> it, it would be that. And it would be loving the sport to go sit and watch a baseball game uh, and, and really, you know, not need star power, not need to know who any of the players are, but just to watch baseball for what it is. And baseball is one of these sports that is perfect for that kind of watching because it's, pretty boring. I mean, it's, it's not a fast moving game. They've, they've made efforts to speed it up, but you have to, you have to like love it for it's, it's, I keep saying the word charm, but you have to love it for that. If you're going to really enjoy it, because it's not action packed. It doesn't do things to attract a, a short attention span viewer in any way. So the whole um, day is the event, the whole experience, the travel, the, the fun yeah. around that, the sideshow. It's not just the action. Exactly. Exactly. Get getting getting the beer and the hot dog and, and the Asheville one luck and a lot too. Sell vegan hot dogs, which is cool. The chance, you know, you get to go down and even in major leagues, like often you can go down near the the wall or the the um whatever it would be kind of near the foul line and and you might get a ball during batting practice, which would be a huge thrill. I've never gotten one in my life, but friends have and it's cool and you bring your glove and you might catch one. 
there's just a lot of stuff. It's just, it's just fun to go to a ball game. It's just a, a thing. So, you know, that's why you would go, but there aren't many fans like that. Like guys who it's just increasingly few fans like that. Uh, and to me, if, if the team had promotion relegation and like, I thought that maybe there was some hope that long shot, but maybe this team could move up next year or move up two years in a row and suddenly be comp- competing with the New York Yankees or the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, that would be really, that would add mm-hmm. a huge element of, of coolness, not to mention excitement when they're not doing well, because you need to now to root for them to make sure they don't get relegated and incentive for them not to start tanking. Cause that's another big problem in, in like, I always see, it seems like the NBA is, does it more than anything else where if they're not doing well, they want to get a high draft pick and the lowest teams will, will get the first pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think uh, not a big basketball fan, but like, I think the first pick is, is many times more valuable than the 10th pick. So like, there's a pretty solid incentive to be in the very basement if you're already going to lose. Oh, so, you yeah. know, you've got that problem too. So the, the, the draft system was interesting to me because in, in football, it's transfers. It's you buy a player, you own, you spend 50 million euro on the right to have that guy wear your shirt and you own him in a sporting sense for the next, for the length of his contract. And that was just standard for me growing up. Unfortunately, these days it's a bit unregulated and it's becoming a bit of a, just a bit of a joke, absurdity, the amount of money flying around. But then on the other hand, the, the, the US setup is, Seemed so much more fair and democratic. The the little guy gets helped out. I know the Pelicans got the first draft pick the last two years ago, maybe, and they got Zion Williamson. Mm-hmm. And that was a big deal. And I, I love that idea that the little guy can get a boost through um through this system. But as you say, clearly it's not all as naive and innocent as it sounds, because then you've got a team who are rooting to lose almost so that they can get Zion Williams next year. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that parody is an important thing for these leagues, the NFL, you hear talking about parody all the time. They want that parody. They don't want, I mean, it's really hard to repeat because of salary caps and all these problems. So like, if you, if you have a good year, you know, any of your guys who are free agents, like they're going to be expensive, too expensive the next year for you to get not, not because your team doesn't have enough money, but because you're not allowed to spend too much on it, on putting together your team. And so like, there are a lot of just system, you know, sort of checks and balances that keep it from, from being like, you know, this handful of teams that always wins the way it is in, in a lot of the European leagues. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, certainly there, there are some cool, some nice benefits of it. And, and of course there are some downsides to it. Yeah. Which is, I, I sent you an article earlier, which I found really interesting, but before I even found that one, I was Googling general difference between European and American sports culture. I found this 10 minute YouTube video, which was the initial one I was going to send you, but it got very, toxic I, I felt a bit uncomfortable <laughs> watching it because the first 10 clips were like u.s fan celebrations or the super bowl like or big college football game whatever one of these big events and there's clearly choreography there's a big show there's cheerleaders there's marching bands and every every one of the crowds got the same orange jersey or whatever and they're all doing mm-hmm. the same move and it's a spectacle but then it will cut to the the, the lazio ultras and they're lighting flares and they're screaming and shouting and it's visually audio audibly very impressive but then i can only watch a so so few minutes of another bunch of random middle-aged white men aggressively supporting their team before right. it turns a bit right. into toxic masculinity and that kind of thing which goes along with the hooligan aspect as well one of the things i loved about football and still do it's still there i believe i hope is that it was local from from the get-go the local a church group started a football team, the local pub started a football team and 
yeah, we're a million miles away from that now in terms of budget and connection to the, you know, the local community and all that, but it's still, that's still what uh, football fans expect. And the, the idea of a club, as you said, in the, in the middle of the night, just up and leaving franchising, like the, the, is it the Utah jazz? Is that the team? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about an ultimate oxymoron in my <laughs> idea which, which is very funny because you you've referred to them and i didn't really get what you were saying because i grew up with the utah jazz and like i said i'm not a big nba fan uh-huh. and it never even occurred to me that utah doesn't have jazz and that doesn't make no, any sense it didn't until this some, someone pointed it out to me thought, yeah that is weird <laughs> yeah do you want yeah, to but it, clarify it well i i think the article said they came from new orleans is that right that's it yeah okay yeah which where, where jazz was i think born and that makes perfect sense but yeah, and that, that sort of thing happens. It happens, I think, usually when they are when franchises are not drawing fans uh, and and otherwise not making money because they're not getting the TV deals and whatever else, uh, and they're losing usually. But every now and then you have a winning team that seems like they're there's some reason why they're going to move. Maybe because they're winning and they're not they're not uh, being supported enough. Like the Tampa Bay, they used to be called the Devil Rays. Now they're the Rays in Florida. They were winning with a bunch of nobody, well, no name players. And somehow no, there just was no support for them. And, and there was all this talk of them moving, but I think it didn't happen. So yeah, but anyway, they were I, doing well, but they should have been doing better based on their success. And they didn't like that. I, well, they were winning, but I don't think they were. I mean, I think they, I think they went to a world series during this. This was like in the maybe early 2000s. Um, but, the, but still, but still the seats would be empty. Mm, uh, wow. And it was just a weird thing to see. And, and then there was talk of them moving if the city wouldn't support them. Uh, and that might just have to do with the, with the area. And maybe there's not a lot of baseball fans there, but I think the, uh, I don't know, like you mentioned with the, with the, is it, is it Celtic? Is that what it is? The, the pronunciation or is it Celtic? I don't know. Celtic. Yeah. The Glasgow team. Yeah. One of the two. Yeah. Uh, so like, so that thing, but like the, from my, the, the soccer, the, the football that I know in, in Europe, of course, is the Spanish league. That's what I've paid most attention to. Uh, and the Real Madrid Barcelona thing, as, as I think cliched as it is, it's so neat to me that like there's all this actual political and, and cultural like tension between them. And I, and it's sad. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ugly sides of that, of course, uh, including what kept us from going to El Clasico when we were last in Barcelona, because there were all these threats of, of uh, I think it was Barcelona fans. Like they called it a boycott in Spanish, which is a word that I didn't not, not the meaning of boycott that I know, but it was blocking the doors to the stadium with buses or with people. So that the buses couldn't even get in. Wow. Uh, and there were threats of violence and all this stuff because this was, this was, you know, I, I don't know what, what it was, what, whether it was elections or what had happened recently, but there were, you know, so we didn't go, it just seemed too dangerous for a, a nine-year-old to be at. Mm. Uh, and, you know, and people get hurt in this stuff and people die in these things. So like, of course, there's a very ugly side to it as a sports fan, like the, the actual story behind the, the game that goes with it and the rivalry, like we don't have anything like that in, in, the u.s i mean may, maybe you can find some things that where the teams have bad blood between them but it's always because of on the field stuff it's 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 almost never due to their city and i think that's i think that is by design i, I don't think the leagues want it to be about that stuff but you know i don't really know that much yeah but you're you're right to highlight that because what's the phrase where you uh can can something breeds contempt familiarity breeds contempt mm-hmm. we're all just so used to it now so yeah of course liverpool has two football clubs and of course they're side by side and what but that, that we notice the the violence and the st- statistics and the trend because we're just that's your current news you take almost take for granted the rest but i do love the way that you highlighted that like yes the Sadly, you and your kid can't see Barcelona play in the stadium because of some violence, but 
that's an exception to the rule i would i i believe and for the most part it's very passionate and it's it's so so much so in that it's it the culture is so entrenched that people will know people who know me who listen to the podcast or who can detect my accent know i'm not from liverpool i'm not english i'm irish but there's i have such an affinity to that city and to the club and this is a debate with it within big football clubs that have international fan bases anyway how authentic is a foreign fan versus a local fan but that <laughs> that's for another day there's really uh it's not just about the a bit like what you mentioned in baseball it's not about the the players on the field you support the team and i guess we can reference it now as much as you want to go into it or not there's been a lot of drama in the last few days about formation of a european super league which is this long drawn out complicated political boardroom saga that I won't bore any of our listeners the, the details of, but essentially it's some of the top clubs in Europe, including both of ours, trying to break away a bit of a power grab, a bit of a money grab. And it's after two days, it has already fallen apart. And they, most of the clubs or more than half of them have already backed out of what they agreed to two days ago. And it's because for the most part, because they underestimated the, the feeling of the fans, they, it, the I heard a great line to describe it all, and I, I stop me if I get into the weeds. But <laughs> there are the three types of billionaires at the head of all of these clubs that were involved. There's the like the oil, the new oil money billionaires in in Dubai and the likes who own some clubs. There's the U.S. venture capitalists, the the, the hedge fund guys from America, and there's the old money, the like the likes of Florentino Perez or of Real Madrid or Agnelli from Juventus. So you have like every cliche type of billionaire have tried to come together and <laughs> re- redeem the differences for the sake of greed, but clearly it's fallen apart at the first hurdle. And a lot of that is to do with the fact that fans have just refused. There have been protests outside stadiums. There have been uh, uproar online. And I'm I'm a relatively, you know, uh, reasonable but passionate fan. I'm a, I'm a big, proud Liverpool fan, even still. And I was outraged and I was doing my version of activism online or at least participating in the conversations. So that was a nice reminder of not to get too cynical. The money is trying to go one way and this problem in football will come up in another form in the next few years again, but there's still enough of a solid core, enough of a fan base and a loyalty to the ethics of the game and the spirit of the game that it hasn't, hasn't worked this time, which is heartwarming. Yeah, uh, I saw the news as well that it had fallen apart uh, after the English teams backed out, which, uh, uh, you know, I I was definitely happy about that. And and partly that's just because I don't know enough about the whole situation and I sort of fear just the change or something that I don't understand it already. Uh, And and from you and and pretty much anyone on TV that I saw talking about it, uh, you know, it it seemed that everyone was against this. I had to wonder if, like, you know, I guess they're just doing it for money, but if they're going to make more money from it, usually that means that some other fans are going to draw more value from it somewhere if more money is being made. And I was wondering what fans is that? Is it the casual fans? Because when I first told my son, who was you know naive about this, uh, he said, oh, that'd be awesome. Then they always play each other all the time. Like, that would be great. Which, that's me, what American sports felt like growing up. It felt like always heavy hitters against each other. Uh, you have some bad teams in the league, but like I said, they're never all that bad because there's this parody and they're just not that different from each other. So to him, at first, it seemed cool until I told him some of the things that it might mean and, and all that. And then he kind of understood why it might not be so good. But one of the arguments I actually wanted to ask you about this and I'll do it now. Yeah. Uh, someone I, who was, who was kind of taking the, the other side, I don't know if he was just sort of being a devil's ad- advocate or if he really believed it, 
but he said, he said, this is not that big a deal. It's exactly what happened with the premier league in, I don't 92. know if it was nine, yeah, 92. And he said it was, there were four leagues and they brought them together. And, and now look at the premier league because of that. Uh, so I don't know, like, do you think, is there any truth to, to that? There, there argument? is definitely there, there, are, there are some people who are like, what's the big deal? Liverpool playing Real Madrid, then playing Juventus, then uh, I don't pick these massive teams, even if you're not a soccer fan, massive teams playing each other all the time would be a lot of fun. You want to see Mohamed Salah against Sergio Ramos again. I, someone t- in all the drama of conversations and podcasts over the last few days I've heard, someone did say, well, there are structural, massive structural flaws. And the fact that these two icons of modern football who have such a history based on this one previous event, three years later have still not competed against each other is wrong. Like that, that should be the best of football. There's a few mm-hmm. different um, reasons, I think, why it's re- received such you know uh, fury and and a couple of them are are big kind of political grandiose um ethical points of view which just people will never change their mind on the likes of these people trying to trying to circulate power like circle the wagons and one of the biggest uh issues a lot of people had with it was the, the concept of merit and competition and the fact that this this club this um, new proposed idea would remove the concept of relegation and promotion, which is what you said. It's, and again, for the likes of someone like your son, who's, who's just 10 now, 11, just um, turned 11, yeah, turned 11. Um, the, the simplicity, it's a bit like a, just setting up your dream FIFA tournament. You want all the best <laughs> players and it's much more fun. So when you start to get into the weeds of ethics and corporate takeovers and all this sentiment is boring. So of course, which is kind of the point Florentino Perez, the Real Madrid uh, president went on Spanish TV and gave this disaster of an interview, but he was basically trying to say 90 minutes is too long for a football game. Most people don't have that attention span anymore. Kids are, they want to see Neymar. They want to see Messi. They want to see Ronaldo. They, they don't want to see uh, Real Madrid play against Celta Vigo on, on a, a Saturday when it's, the result is probably a foregone conclusion. So there were, issues and there are points to be made but they went about it in the worst possible way so there was no consultation there was no agreement that over the few last few years this scheme proposal had been kind of whispered and we knew there there were certain uh people trying to consolidate power and rich riches but it never it, it was like a pie in the sky idea that oh well, hopefully that never happens to Liverpool, Arsenal, Real Madrid, Barcelona suddenly all sent out a joint tweet announcing the existence right. of the European Super League with, to, with no consideration for the fans. And then you've got all the, 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 the media contracts and TV money, which is a big part of football these days. They raged against it because they weren't included and they spent, quite rightly, they spent billions on being involved to, to, to be the, the, the media people behind it. And they weren't uh, included, but then you have the, the the local football fan down the pub, hi- hypothetically these days, saying, "Well, they're part of the problem too because football used to be on free to broadcast, you know, national television." But there's a whole lot of just ill feeling, mistrust towards the powers, and what completely seeing through what they want, what they were trying to do. I heard a great line from one of the reporters that said, "Decisions that should normally take years were made in hours." So seemingly there was a bit of a panic and a bit of a some Zoom group call between all of these heads of, of clubs who just said it's now or never and they kind of rushed it. 
And as I said before, completely mis, misunder, underestimated the, the fan sentiment. So there's, there's a lot of reasons. Some hold sway more than others. And like you said, some people are just in favor of it. It's, it's a minority. I'd say about 10, 15% of football fans. Um, and yeah, I, I don't want to get too into the weeds, mainly because I'm not an expert and I don't know enough. And I think most of the listeners will have probably even never heard of the European Super League. Whereas for me, dating this on, where are we? The 21st of April, this podcast might not go out for a while yet. Um, it has come and gone in the space of 48 hours and it's been some of the most chaotic but fascinating <laughs> and in a way almost inspiring 48 hours because it's reminded us, it's forced the regular football fan to have this conversation, this long overdue conversation about where the money's going, who really has the power, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's cool from an American perspective because one of the first things I thought about when I heard this, especially when you told me that it, there was a lot of American influence, was this is the thing it will take to make soccer really take off in the US. Mm. Because, you know, the, the way, as we said, this whole conversation, our sports aren't like that. And and we don't have, you know, what 70% of the of the match days be kind of foregone conclusions for the big clubs anyway, the big teams. So, you know, you could you could argue, I guess, that the American fan who's very casual could get behind or could could get into Champions League. But it's too hard to understand and it changes every year who's in it. I mean, not, not necessarily, but, but a lot of the teams change in it. And, and like you said, like if it's sort of an NBA that they've put together, then that, you know, the American fan might start to embrace that. Uh, and, and certainly like the MLS is, is doing really well. I think it's grown a whole lot here and the, the soccer awareness is here. And certainly the hardcore soccer fans here uh, for the most part would have not liked this move to the super league. And even someone who's more casual, like I consider myself not a hardcore soccer fan, but a casual fan to me, the disappointment was like, what's so cool about soccer to me is that it's not, it's not like our sports. It's different. It has all these other elements we've been talking about. And so if it was, if it became more like ours, although that might be what it takes to make a whole lot of other Americans, many more than currently embrace it, make them embrace it. You know, it, it's, it, to me, it would lose the, it would lose what's so great about, about, or a lot of what's so great about soccer. Yeah. So. And that's, that's part of it because it's probably true. They would probably increase their global audience and profits margins and viewing numbers and all of the statistics, but that's exactly what every football fan hates. It's not profit margins. It's not right. global audiences. I, I don't care. And I, again, this is a much more niche issue as a, a foreign Liverpool fan, quote unquote, I don't care how many Indonesian people are reacting to like their tw- the Liverpool Twitter account that's that sort of stuff is irrelevant and that's all these people tend to see which is so see-through and the, the fact that they we all knew this was coming but we thought they'd do better and they didn't and it, <laughs> it was it's been a giant slap in the face John John Henry is our owner who is uh, also the owner of the Boston Red Sox mm-hmm. and he's been generally good or the the his FSG Fenway Sports Group have been good to Liverpool as a club. We ten years ago, you know, we were almost relegated, and we've won the Champions League and the Premier League. And I've um, thirty years of football fan misery in my life, or <laughs> misery is relative. Underachievement uh, has finally paid off, and it's been it's been joyous. But that's what it is. It's the swings and roundabouts. It's the highs and lows. That's what we really cherish. And the it's it's a, been a nice reminder to see that a lot of football fans are still pure in their ethics behind the game despite all the the tv coverage despite all the frenzy that it is these days 
Yeah, totally. And like I said, that, that's what that's what's so neat about it to me. So I'm I'm glad it's not changing. Well, that's our European Soccer League thing ticked. <laughs> so, but it, it it speaks to the the general culture and the priorities of European teams, and there are a lot of differences between the likes of Spanish football, English football, German football, which is really enjoyable. And I've been to a, I've lived in a couple of these countries now, and I've seen the differences, and it's 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 quite a lot of fun to see. With that in mind, do you do you follow mostly Spanish football? I know you you keep an eye on the rest, but what's what's your kind of uh, outlook on the rest of Europe? Yeah, that's really it. I I keep an eye on the rest. Uh, I, I I don't know. It's just it's just I think I think it's all new enough to me that that one league to become a fan of and know the teams and learn mm-hmm. bits of backstories and the players on those teams. You know, I can do that with one league. And and I have this love for Spain that comes from having gone there so much as a kid. Sure. And like I said, when it feels like I'm being a tourist, like it it's fun for me to go back there in the form of football and and seeing the ads for the products that I remember having there, which is less nowadays because a lot of them are, are certainly aimed at the u.s audience but you know it just it just reminds me of traveling there uh so i think i think when i as i travel to more countries i think i can more easily embrace their leagues because for me that's part of what is fun about it uh or perhaps just a few more years under my belt of liking spanish football and then yeah. you know seeing the uh, we follow the champions league too of course that's that's fun uh not so much europa league but but maybe maybe one day and so I think I, I start to get familiar with teams and stories from other leagues via the Champions League. And, and that will hopefully I, I'd, I'd love to watch more. But that's, even the MLS, I'm like just I'm not that big an MLS fan. My son's in one of their the MLS, uh, like it's not quite the academies, but it's, it's the program before you get to academy age. Um, and I actually just bought season tickets for Charlotte FC, uh, which is cool because I'm just it's just it's just me going all in on on MLS soccer. Nice. Uh, so I'm I'm certainly eager to embrace that but even that one it's like i'm just i've kind of been slow to to go outside of spanish soccer and that, that's fine i didn't mean to to throw it on you at all because I, I had a 20 year start of learning all about english football before i ever heard about not 20 years but you, basically it, you know there's a big wide world of football out there and i'm still on that same level I, I don't know anything about south american football i know very little about the mls or what goes on in asia it's very eurocentric so mm-hmm. there's always more and it's fun to be halfway through a journey of like you, you can reach the level of knowing everything about every football club ever. And then what? So <laughs> if the fact that German football to you is still a bit unknown and you know about Bayern Munich and Dortmund, but Schalke yep. just got relegated and Bielefeld are coming up from the Bundesliga. It's the mystery can stay that that's fine. Right. Well, Schalke lost their American right to, uh, to Juventus and no wonder Weston McKinney was that? The yeah. Guy? That's right. Yeah, they lost a few. We we took one of their player, their defenders in January, who who seems pretty good. And in fact, just today or last night, I guess Schalke lost their final game that got them relegated. And there was ah. unfortunately some fan violence, but directed at the team. There were really <laughs> scary scenes of like players running for their you know wow. here. So Jeez. yeah, the, again, the, 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 there's a lot of to- toxic elements to football, which come from the the at least in spirit, nice things that we, we cherish. Right. But exactly. That's the reason you can't buy a beer at a, at Anfield and you can at, yep. uh, what was the name of the smoothie King center in new Orleans. That, <laughs> one of those Americans that, that, that are, that article I did mention earlier, which was very interesting going into kind of the geopolitical cultural differences between all of these things. Um, that is one of those Americanization things that has crept in is, is something as silly as 
stadium sponsorships. So yeah. the likes of Liverpool Stadium is Anfield. That's because it's on Anfield Road. That's a na- neighbourhood in the city of Liverpool. Now, let me think, the Emirates Stadium. Arsenal playing the Emirates, and that's named after yeah. after an airline. So things like that are but, creeping but in. But why, why on the kits, though? Why on the kits? Is there a, a, why is that? Isn't that sacred space that shouldn't be given away to sponsors? That's what's so yeah. strange to me, that we would sell our stadium names, but we won't do that. And, it should and, be. I, I've actually written this down. So I'll, I'll, all through that article, I wrote down some general, huh, that's an interesting one. Whereas <laughs> like shirt sponsors have been around since as long as I've been watching football. The, the, and the, the, the petty thing is they recently that so you had the, uh, you know, the main company logo on the chest area, but they've let one on the arm. Now they've allowed a separate logo on the oh. sleeve. So Liverpool have Western union on their sleeve now. Oh, I didn't that's, what's, that. that's what's gotten me. Like I I've grown up with the whole main sponsor there. That's just part of the thing. Now they're creeping into, if you look at it, Italian football, they have like six or seven sponsors all over. The yeah. Team. And any like South American, yeah, you see all that stuff. It's all over the so, shorts and everything. While I'm just accepted, that's what football is, and it's getting worse. Um, I did. I I I, I agree. I, I consider it um, completely sacred space that shouldn't be for anything else. In fact, the and, one... and, sorry. I mean, even on the field, there are aren't there sometimes ads like electronically put onto the field. Well, on the sur- surrounding the field, yeah, yeah, so, that. But I think I've seen. I, no, this must have been when I was in uh, Colombia in South America. Oh, watching games. There were ads on the field that were that were the TV generated things. Oh no, I I haven't seen them yet. It, yeah, I'm sure they exist. If not, it's a matter of time. Well, and, and so my hypothesis about this, and I have no idea if this is right or not, is that soccer there you don't have you don't have nine innings with a break in between each innings. You don't have eighteen breaks during yeah. which to put on commercials. So you've only got what's what people see during it, and and the shirt is a great place to 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 get that scene. Not to mention merchandising and all that whole other side of it. Uh, which is another interesting thing, which I, we don't have time probably to go into all these things, but like with baseball, we don't, the, or, or football, like every now and then the team will update their Jersey and put a new logo or new colors or whatever. Oh yeah. I know where you're going, but, here. but Real Madrid puts out three or four new ones every single year and you got to get the new one or else you look <laughs> just, it's not that cool it's, anymore. It's a scam. It really is. Well, I'm not complaining scam. about it. I think it's cool. I, I love going <laughs> to that store and finding okay. some new things. Like it's great. And, and like, we can't wait to see the new when it comes out uh, over the summer and the leaks when they come out, like that's really fun. And, and we just don't have that at all here. Uh, so it's, yeah, uh, that's an interesting, I, I love to get an outside perspective on this and yeah, we could go on about this all night, but you're six hours behind me and still in the afternoon. So we things to do in the day. Um, so I think I was Growing up when like the Premier League had just become a thing, but I didn't know anything about power grabs or breakaway leagues or anything back then. But uh, there was still enough of a tradition of old fashioned football that I've, it's a bit like the, 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 the dawn of the internet and smartphones. And I've, I've, I've been alive long enough to remember when that wasn't a thing and seeing how it's just crept in entirely. The, the kits thing, because back in the 90s, Liverpool, in my case, and every club would change their kits every three or four years and that was exciting mm. because it was like the new thing and right n- now it's just complete it's, and then it was three years and it was two years now it's every season <laughs> and yeah there's a right. buzz built about it and there's hype and people leak fake kits or real ones and yeah. i get it and but, yeah not for me well uh, it's happening here too because the baseball teams are starting to put the nike swoosh on their jersey which oh, is okay. which is the first advertising i've seen on a jersey really the first ever the, the other than i mean it used to maybe say new era on the back of the, it was the baseball cap manufacturer but yeah, like now you see the swoosh in the jersey. Oh. 
so that's that's kind of a new thing. I don't know when it started, but that that's kind of new. Um, and there was another one, but I'm blanking on what it was. Uh, it's, okay. it's it's just an interesting contrast in general because this article summed it up perfectly, which is um, when I think of American America as a as a concept, it's quite capitalist. It's you know the, the land of the free, and you you can come there as a poor guy and make it, and you know all of those cliches. But it's it's kind of unapologetic capitalism. Whereas Europe is a bit more yeah, divided between different countries and all, everything, but it's considered a bit more social, a bit more liberal, a bit more like new agey about these things. Yet the sports seem to be completely inverted. The, it, there, there's a bank that sponsors uh, Liverpool, the Socialist People's Club, sponsored by <laughs> an Indonesian <laughs> bank, I believe, or some, maybe it's American, but regardless. Meanwhile, I'll, I when I think of American sports, I think of the 10 and ad breaks commercial breaks in in uh, in a football game and i see the halftime show is sponsored by geico and all these i it's a lot more crass to me it comes a lot more in your face mm-hmm. but it's only because it's not what i'm used to it's it's just it's the same sort of push but in just different methods right but then when it comes to the leagues themselves and how they're run not not with regard to commercialism and all that but like it, the American one is run in this socialized way where it's yeah. like everyone, if, if you're too bad, we'll help you out the next year and make sure if you get too good, we'll, we'll limit you in some way so that it doesn't get out of hand. Uh, and, and the Europeans, the opposite. And I was just, I've never thought of that before, how, how it is opposite of the way we are perceived. And by the way, I remember, cause this, I didn't even know this that much about Europe. I mean, I know it is thought of as, as more socialist than the United States, but when we were in Spain, you and I uh, at, at some kind of local bar or something on the corner and it was just taking forever for them to come out and get give us the mm-hmm. bill at the end like to collect it was like they didn't want to get the money did not want to be paid and i think i said something like you know if like we could run a much better bar right here if we just would like come out all the time and like hire some servers and make sure they have procedures that says you come out at this time and you do this little upsell and try to get and, and you said we just that wouldn't like it wouldn't work here we don't you don't, I remember. We don't want that that was in Valencia and we were staying as <laughs> so I was staying with you and you guys were staying in this quite local, authentic Spanish neighborhood, which was really nice. But there was one square where all the, the nightlife would happen. You'd go for a drink and the best bar on the square only had three tables outside or three or four. And they were always <laughs> right. full. And the one beside it had 12 tables and it was half full. And like the, you said, well, just put a few more out. And, you know, the service could come out every 10 minutes instead of just texting their friends <laughs> sitting inside, ignoring the customers. But that's that's not the point. That there's a the the owner of this place, or whether it was the girl working inside, whoever it was, doesn't want to double his money for the sake of it. <laughs> right, he, right. He has he runs a nice bar that all the locals love, and it's it's turning a profit just. And he has a nice easy job because he's not trying to maximize things. So, yeah, right. that, which was, is which is different from for sure why American sports are run that way, right? That's not that's not that they're just satisfied slightly, with how it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's not a perfect flip-flop compared opposite, but I, I do wonder though, like, is, is there something to, if the sports are, are run in this sort of opposite way, is that, is that, is that why we like the sports? Like, is, is it that way? Because yeah. that's what we want. Right? We that's want exactly to escape. It's, it's a, a, a hypothesis forming in my mind just today, which makes, seems to make perfect sense is that exactly. It's an escape. Um, we are, as as European football fans, just excited by the the big money transfers and the 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 kind of circus of it all. And it it almost against our better nature, and because of our better nature, I would say, because football is tribal for better or worse. It is passionate. It is it's it's one of the few places where middle aged white men, working class white men, can just go and express emotion in hopefully a healthy way. And 
so yeah, we they we throw everything into that, and because everything else is so regulated and publicized, and yeah, without getting too political, just generally a bit more diverse, shall we say, or you can call it socialist, whatever. I'm not smart enough to to, to tag these things, and then you've got the U.S., which is a lot, yeah, the the opposite in both ways, and I think it is just kind of trying to shave off the 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 more basic instincts or appealing to our better instincts, despite yeah. the reality. You know, this funny side of this is not not that relevant, but you just mentioned uh, the excitement of the transfers and the things like that. When I, so when, when we got into soccer, year or two into it, following Real Madrid, I would start to Google things about the players and like, what's the news with, with Gareth Bale? Like, how is he not happy? And I would see all these headlines. I mean, tons of them that says, essentially says, Gareth Bale is going to this club or whatever. And, and I would start to tell my son, I'd be like, guess what? This is happening. He's, he's going here now. And it's just, and also this guy and this, and like, because when I Google one, I'd happen to see 10 other headlines and I'd come to him and say, I mean, I can't believe how many of these things are happening. And then a week later, none of them would have actually been true. And it's just funny. I I just bought it all. I just thought it was all happening because we don't have that with that culture is not, is not here as exciting as it is when there's a big blockbuster trade or a big free agent signing. uh, There's, there's not that huge rumor mill i mean there is a rumor mill, but it's not it's nothing like the european version of it oh, yeah and that's uh, intentionally that, designed that's completely that, that is exciting and yeah the the youthfulness in you is clearly tagged onto <laughs> that but it's like that's what i'm fascinated by at 13 i care less about transfers now than i did 15 20 years ago because uh-huh. you just want the big best the best player the one that's scoring all the goals in spain you want him to come to your team and you're super excited to follow and you don't care how much money in fact if it is more money it's better because this guy must, <laughs> must be good right yeah i i love that that that's to be good in fact gareth bale scored a very good goal today for tottenham i don't know if you saw that Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And is he on loan? Another another concept that is yeah, he's, he's on loan. And I, I, he came out a few weeks ago and said something which is true, but kind of the things. Yeah, it's true, but you shouldn't still you shouldn't say it. He said he's going to go back, clarifying his future. His plan is to return to Real Madrid. I saw that, and I and I wondered if that's just what you have to say. Um. Yeah. I, so his plan was to go back to Real Madrid, and uh, but the Euros were supposed to happen this summer, which is the international European tournament between all the countries. And he wanted to get match fit to play for Wales. And he probably wouldn't get match fit under Zidane at Real Madrid. So he went to, mm. to Tottenham, which is completely true. Everybody knew that, but you shouldn't say it because then he's kind of treating his his old club, which made him the star he is as a sort of a training camp, essentially. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's cool. I think that stuff is so much fun. It is exciting. And sometimes <laughs> I do pause the, my my logical, you know, the, the, my, my better instincts to just say, oh, Liverpool are spending 100 million on this new exciting guy. We're, if we sign Kylian Mbappe, I'm going to be over the moon because he's the best striker in Europe at the moment. And <laughs> right. now he's playing in red. Forget the ridiculous amount of money he's on and all the inequality in football. We briefly pause all of that because it's exciting. It's emotional. It's romantic. And right. Yeah. And then calm down next morning. We'll go back to talking about power structures and all of that. But anyway, um, I don't want to just ramble on too long because I can clearly see that that could easily happen. So are there any other sports that you're into that outside of football? Like, were you a big Olympics fan or was there anything else across the world? Because the U S will call something like the world series and it's played by the U S <laughs> yeah, and maybe yeah. in hockey's case, there's a few Canadian teams there's, allowed. There's, in, yeah, there are a few in baseball too, but yeah, okay. I get that. It's yeah. silly. So what, uh, yeah. what, what genuinely global sports aside from football, are, have you followed any 
Oh yeah. I mean, I love the Olympics always did when I was a kid. Uh, yeah, it, it just awesome. And it was, and you know, of course there are ugly sides and things that go on, but like that, that's me. When I talked about the minor league baseball, that you sort of watch this thing, not because you know, the players or the, whatever you, you just are there to enjoy the sport and see people kind of doing their best to be great, which is, which is what the Olympics is. And you don't need to know who anyone is. You actually hit to root for your country is a cool thing. Even without knowing who you just root for them because they're from your country without knowing anything else about them. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's cool. So I, I, I've always loved that stuff. I try, I try to get my kids to see that as much as I can, just because it seems like something, something still pure and great about that kind of sport. Yeah, uh, there really is. And the Olympics has this amateur aspect to it and this connection yeah. to like the ancient games of Greece and yep. Rome, which is a nice thing to still uphold. And the one I remember the London 2012 games was the one I really got into. I wasn't working at the time. I just finished college and I just had this free time. And I, but you become a, temporary expert in judo or archery or a certain <laughs> class of rowing you start to learn all these techniques and stuff maybe it's a bit like the americans back in the day for the world cup where for two or three weeks you're in, you're ingenious and you know all of the tactics and you know all the language and then it disappears <laughs> again the carnival rolls out of town and you move on yes exactly but yeah i think that i mean that and it is fun just to watch different sports like we, we have the the espns and the espn two and three and four and, five, and you know just and they show all kinds of goofy sports nowadays with the with the cornhole you know drinking games essentially that are being played on tv by people just, who are supposed to be the best yeah exactly but maybe not exactly maybe maybe that's a, actually a skill i don't know uh not the cornhole is not a skill maybe disc golf is a more legitimate sport and i don't know how we define that but i i really do like it's just i don't know, like when we go to spain and we turn on tv and you can find women's floor hockey being played or handball like that. We don't have handball. No, no one plays handball here or uh, like on the other games, but I mean, you know, just, just different games that are, that are fun to watch. So I, I love that stuff. That That's great. And it's funny how fun it can be to watch a sport that you know nothing about. It is one of the cool things about Europe in general. And I only notice it as I start to travel outside and um, experience everything else. And that my way is not the way, but there are a lot of varieties of games and it's, to do with the fact that Europe is a smaller continental landmass than the US, but has so many different languages and cultures and tribes and diversity and all this. But when I think of Irish sports, I, I'd be remiss to have a whole hour or so podcast about sports and not talk about the fact that there are Irish sports that most people don't know about the GAA. Hurling, the, right? Hurling and football. We have our own football, which is a confusing <laughs> language thing too. Um the GAA or the Gaelic Athletic Association. And a hundred years ago with like getting independence from Britain, th this was a massive part of it. This was like the, the British, the imperialists played cricket and soccer and rugby. We have our sports, which are a thousand years old and have now gone undergone a renewal. And I, I would imagine basically every country does in Europe and I can't speak to them all, but the GAA, the Gaelic games, hurling and football are still amateur. They're still uh, there. You play for your local team. There's no transfers. There's that whole saga we spent wasted too much time on talking about is just not a thing in Ireland. These guys will play in front of 50,000 people in the final of a game on a Saturday or Sunday. And then they're a teacher. They go back to work on Monday morning. And that's a beautiful thing. So I, I'm sure a lot of people yeah. have never heard of those. And just getting out there, if you're curious at all, just look up GAA. It's worth it cool very good all right um i could keep you on forever we, we we've shared several nights having a beer and chatting about football and the rest so it could go on again and again but uh i appreciate it before i let you go is there any 
I have here written bucket list events. So are there any things that you've really wanted to see, like any iconic sports game or tradition or famous thing that you'd like to see? <laughs> Has to be sports, right? Well, yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as I mentioned, well, I mentioned El Clasico. We didn't go to that one, but we did go to one before that, my oh, son and wow. I. That would have been one. And I had a bit of a story, which I told on our podcast, that we got the tickets through some stub hub or some sort of third party thing. And I didn't speak Spanish well enough then to like help convince them that this was a real ticket and not a fake one to get through the first layer of security before you actually scan the ticket. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up going, standing in line, calling the people. And like, we ended up getting in for, I think, I think we got in about the 35th minute or so. And they gave me, a, they gave me about a one third refund, which was nice of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to go to a complete entire classico. That, that would be really nice to do. Uh, so of course that's on my list. Other than that, I, you know, the World Series is one I would just love to baseball. As we just said, it's not really the World Series, but the, the North American minus Mexico series would be nice to go to. Um, it just, I don't know. It just, as a kid like that, that was, that was the one that, that everybody would want to go to. Yeah. Super Bowl doesn't, doesn't, has never really done much for me. I don't know. It just doesn't, it just seems, it seems like a whole lot of hoopla for a few minutes of action. Uh, yeah, that, that's exactly what I thought about it. So it's nice to know it's, it's the only one. <laughs> Yeah, and I've never been to an NBA game. You've you've done that, and I haven't. Uh, I was about to say the same the other way. You've been to more football games than I have. I'm professing <laughs> to be the fan, the big fan, and I am. But for some reason, it's it's kind of funny because I've lived in Germany and the Netherlands in the last ten years of my life, that where the two closest cities have been Dortmund and Ajax, and they are two or Ajax, Dortmund and Amsterdam, where mm-hmm. Ajax play, and they are two of the most iconic, legendary, historic football clubs yeah. in world football. And I've never been to either one to my shame. So <laughs> grass is greener, right? I've been to a Pelicans game before I've been to a, before I've been to an Ajax game, but hey, yep. that's how it's going to be. All right, Matt, I'll let you go. I know you've got a, a family and, you know, responsibilities. My Soccer my, practice. Soccer practice. Very nice. Very Not nice. for me, for my son. Okay. Well, uh, I do miss Holden as well. He, it's been a lot of fun hanging out with him when, when I yeah, see him. So. Yeah, it is fun. Give him all my love. I'm going to get you back on the podcast one day to actually talk about your career and your expertise and all the the interesting stuff around nutrition and running and, and the like. But uh, That sounds yeah, good. I would love lot, to. It's been a lot of fun until then. So yeah, really, really do appreciate it. Yeah, a lot of fun. And we'll, we'll need to uh, get together in person as soon as we possibly can because that it's been too, been too long. Yeah. Who knows when or where that will be. We've met in several <laughs> different countries now, but um, I look yeah, forward right. to it. So, Matt Fraser, my guest, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure, and I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you, Stephen.